0: My guest today, uh, I'll give her an introduction, but she doesn't really need one. Uh, My guest is Debbie Travis. Uh, We're going to talk about design your next chapter. We'll talk about uh, all the TV shows. Uh, Debbie Travis facelift, Debbie Travis The painted house, I and mean, it goes on and on and on. You've had so many successful series, so many books, uh, and you're, you've got a new one. Uh, what number of book is this?
1: Uh, number ten. Number ten. Yeah, wow. but but eight of those books were were decorating books. Not that I'm. They putting still count. Yeah, they, they still count. Ca- they have words in yes, them. They have words. <laughs> I had to write them. But um, it's funny. They they um, it took me about a year to do that. You know, to do each book and and uh, my. Uh, my, my my stepfather in england said uh, how's that book thing going i said well dad actually they're going to they're going to do 8 so he whispered down the phone you know if i talk to your granny you could sell 9
0: that's hilarious
1: <laughs> so i always think of those books like Ugh!
0: well you know it, it it's funny when you look back at at a body of work like that that dates back
1: 20 mm. years probably Yeah, well, I mean, I I started in television behind the scenes and was fully intending to stay there. And so I I kind of did my internship at the BBC and then I went off to different channels around the UK and then managed to um,
0: you edited something upside down into a story I did. did you well, not? I,
1: I ended up in actually this dates me but I ended up in the newsroom when they were doing the Falklands War right. and that was really interesting only as an assistant 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 um, and then I got sent to Norfolk to uh, what was then Anglia Television and um, it was called Death Row because it was just these like cubicles of <laughs> editors and uh, you got the name a runner because you could move fast you right. know and you could you know uh, and and it was sixty millimetre footage in those days, and and so they were. Uh, <laughs> they, we used to wait for the news to come in. Of course, it, everything is like like in movies. Slow, slow, slow. Panic, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. Last minute, you sit around all day, and then yeah. it's like, got to get this in Hurry the can up now. And wait. Hurry yeah. up and wait. Yeah. And um so the footage would come in, but the guys all used to the editors would go to the pub. <laughs> and uh, so one day the footage comes in. The job of the runner run to the pub, tell your editor footage is in, start editing. Well, my editor was under the table and had had way too many pints. So um, I ran back in tears, saying, Oh, you know, <laughs> George is, you know, out of it. And they said, Well, you better do it, love. And and that was the. You you know, cut and splice, yeah. 60 millimeter. Anyway, I got, and it was about a, a North Sea rescue, uh, this helicopter saving somebody who'd fallen in the sea or something. And I did it, and I was so ple- pleased with myself. And I r- ran the film down to where it was supposed to go, went back to where I was staying, my little hovel somewhere. And I thought, I'll watch my first thing ever on <laughs> television. And there was the newscaster speaking, and then the live guy. And then the footage came on, and the helicopter was upside down.
0: Bad. <laughs> Hilarious, and I was fired. <laughs> you were even though Georgie was under the table.
1: Oh, they didn't care. You were a nobody, but so. Uh, yeah. But the interesting thing was, you know, I always say mistakes are a good thing because mm-hmm. something always comes out of them. And and um, there was a very kind editor who went freelance a few months later and rang me up and said, "Do you want to join me?" And and I did. And so he just thought, I thought you, you know, you've got a bit of chutzpah. Yeah. So uh, so something good came out of it. Well,
0: it's funny on this show when we have uh, successful people in we have so often talked about failure, mm-hmm. which I think that people seem to shy away from a little bit. They don't want to admit, oh, I, I, I buggered that up or yeah. I didn't fa- I, I didn't succeed at this. But I think failure is the best way to learn. I think failure teaches you more than uh, any string of success possibly can.
1: Look, that's how we learn to walk. You know, (laughs) nobody's learned to walk. I don't know if we don't remember, but you tumble down, you fall down, you get picked up. You know, you know, if you scream in a certain way, everybody's going to give you attention. That's how we learn. And and I I, I do think I think people who haven't done it yet are frightened Mm -hmm. and embarrassed and very embarrassed to talk about that things didn't go right. But, you know, same as you, when I did this book, I interviewed a lot of people who had started Next Chapters, some big projects, some just very ordinary, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of them talked, all of them about... This didn't work, or the day they made the the cookie batch and burnt the kitchen down, and then they were left with nothing, or the day they bought the beach bar in Paros in Greece and an island, and it blew away six months after spending their life savings on it because something good came out of it. Right, and and the the one thing I loved is successful people love talking about themselves. A and B, it's way more interesting to talk about the boo boos, you know, the mm-hmm. things that go wrong. Um, but it's it's having the courage to say, okay, it happened, we now. Get up, and that's I think partly to do with the way you're brought up, and um, you know I think it's a kind of generational thing. You can't just keep moving jobs. Fall mm. down
0: six times, get up seven.
1: Yeah, and and I think one of the things I think you remember with mistakes is where where you were at the time and and your mental state. When I was editing in London, I was told I worked for this very nasty, very famous American mogul. You know, I was the kind of the, <laughs> the scum on the floor. Didn't even know my name. And the, and they it was at the stage. Were, it was a big movie, and um, the, the I was sitting behind them. And they used to have something called bins, uh, uh, and it was like a, it was like a huge laundry bin with hooks, and you hooked the footage in. So right. when the editor, you know, the main editor, clicked his fingers and wanted that little scene, you you as if you were good as an assistant, you could find it really fast. Anyway, they the. Um, the editor gave me, or the, the the producer handed me the master. Now the master, if anybody doesn't know, is the master. It's called that, that for a reason. Yes, yeah. It is the main, <laughs> you know, that silver tin. Yeah. You know, it's the negative kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he told me to take it to down through Soho, where all the film companies were, pretty grungy area in those days in, in, in London, to um, to this place where they put the ME tracks on, the sounds, the door right. banging and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I tripped and it was a fall day, leaves, rain, all this kind of stuff. And I, I've i never in my whole life forgotten this moment where this tin opened and the footage, the, the reel of film, rolled through, all the do- <laughs> <laughs> through the dog poo, through the leaves, through the wet, through the cigarette packets, whatever. And it looked like a mass of knotted hair. <laughs> and I lifted it up, tears running from every orifice. And, and I had two choices. And next to me was a, a garbage bin. And I remember standing there, hopping from one foot to the other. I had could go back. And and say, this is what I've done, or I could dump it. This guy had I don't I don't think I even got paid. Didn't know my name, where I lived, or I could make a, a run for it. Right. And it was so easy to do that. And I think it was part of my growing up, uh, of being who I am today. And I finally turned around, picked up the empty tin, and I went back. And I'll never forget, I walk in the room, and he turned around, and there was a look on his face, which I thought was going to explode, and he was going to hit me. (laughs) But the look, now I know it, was for the grace of God. Right. I got the one who brought it back because he knew I could have made a run for it. Right. And, and then it's gone forever. And it's yeah. gone forever. And all he said was go to, I think it was go to Ethel, room 52. <laughs> and I knocked on the door and there was one of these women in the white gloves. And, yeah. and and she said, oh, stupid girl, took the stuff. And it can be cleaned. Right. And they did clean it. And... Um, I think I was still fine. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I'm sure he remembers, he's probably dead now, but he probably remembers that story of, I nearly lost my movie, Yeah, you know, because of that girl.
0: I'm speaking with Debbie Travis. Her new book, number 10 is called Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. And we'll get to that in a sec. The book is fascinating. One more story about failure, because it makes me laugh. I think you told it to me, you were on my TV show, Pop Life, yeah. a while ago. And I think if you can get over this. You can get over anything. You're doing a home demo oh. show and you're going to, to to tear someone's house down, start all over yeah, again yeah. And, and do the whole thing. And you tore down the neighbor's house. You tore we down did. the wrong place. We did.
1: This was the first. We've well, given the punchline away. I
0: have. Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> but, but it was the very first facelift. So we'd done seven years of the painted house, which was a kind of set up in a room. Cameras are all set up. You know, they make you look pretty and you demonstrate on the walls. And I was getting a little bored of it but they were real houses and real people and my producer hats which I always produce you know the shows uh kind of came on and and there was always chaos you know people think they're getting this free makeover and then they're invaded by a <laughs> mad television crew and kids are tied up cuz they can't make noise and da, da, da. and um and I, I I remember watching these people and I said to the director you know what is really good television? It's not me sponging these walls. I think we should turn the cameras on ourselves. Follow the puck of the horror. And everybody knows the horror of renovating when you're on your own, yeah. you know? So we pitched it to the network, and in those days I couldn't do anything wrong, so they went, okay. So they they, they the, one, the idea was that one member of the family, usually the mother, would go be sent away to see a sister or a friend, all in secret, and I would work with the dad. So the very first one... I wasn't allowed to meet him because they wanted the elements of surprise. And they said to this guy, <laughs> you know, um, this is how it's going to happen. He said, the only thing is I'll send her away at 7 o'clock. She'll get the train to her mum's, wherever it is. And um, I have to take the kids to school. Is that OK? So the producer said, yeah, it's not a problem. She said, uh, he said, but I'll leave the door open. You can get started. Great. It's the first show. So and, and there was no reality show on. The only thing I think that was the Osbournes was going mm-hmm, right, and was a huge hit.
0: Just the beginnings of all the of The beginning
1: that, yeah. of it all. And nobody, of course, had done it with a decorating show, which mm-hmm. were very kind of a bit boring. And um, so we arrived. And we can demolish these these houses in about an hour and a half it's pretty easy with (laughs) sledgehammers and 40 people and cameras everywhere and of course we're setting things up and I was overacting to one camera you know this is the ugliest house I've ever seen rip out the kitchen (laughs) rip out the ceiling oh that fireplace that is revolting anyway in my earpiece the director says uh, okay Mr Robinson he's coming down the path Debbie meet him at the door there'll be another main camera there and his name is Jack Robinson Hi Jack. Oh my god, Mr. Robinson, your house, I have to say, is one of the ugliest houses I've ever seen. And anyway, but your wife's going to love it. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this, and it's going to be amazing. And he just <laughs> stared at me and then he said, "I'm Mr. Jones. Mr. <laughs> Robinson lives next door." <laughs> so that was a great phone call to yeah. the to the network. I'm really sorry, but all the budget for the whole series has gone on this mess. So we did two houses. Well,
0: it, that it, it's finding the, I don't know, finding the 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 making lemonade lemonade. It is or and, the, uh, lemonade, or lemonade. And the
1: lesson in that It was all filmed, and we launched that show to really the the breaking numbers that we'd never seen Mm -hmm. before in America and here for uh, uh, that kind of show. And um, we were on a—we couldn't do it every week, of course, but we were on a roll. (laughs) (laughs) So there's always a silver lining.
0: My guest in studio is Debbie Travis. The book is Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. We're going to talk about starting over uh, when we come back. I just had Jennifer Dalen here a couple of weeks ago, and she has a new movie called Into Invisible Light about mm. a woman who starts her life over at age 60. Fascinating mm. conversation with her. I want to get to that with Debbie Travis. Stay with us. Debbie Travis is my guest in studio, Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life is her new book. Uh, You know her as the host of Debbie Travis Facelift, Debbie Travis, The Painted House. Uh, The shows were based out of Montreal, Quebec. Facelift was produced for Home and Garden Television in Canada, but uh, you live in Italy, you have a house Mm -hmm. in London, you're all over the place, and we'll talk about Italy in a little bit because there's something really cool happening there that you're doing, and it relates to to your new book, I think. Uh, design your next chapter.
1: It does. So I I've been in television, like I said, behind the scenes, and then I did five television shows. I also did a big series for From the Ground Up, and then I did All for One, and then I made a, a documentary series called La Dolce Debbie, which was about um, that was about two years ago about this building this place in Italy mm-hmm. and the and the stress of it and the not speaking Italian and the challenges of everything that comes with Italy, and. Um, you know, I, I didn't want to, I felt so good there, and I didn't want to just sit on a hillside and do this renovation and then what? Gin and tonic at 11 o'clock in the morning. And, um, but I felt good. So I, I kind of had this idea of what if I brought other people? What if I had these retreats where people could come? It's a huge, huge property and they could, you know, enjoy what I enjoy. And what came out of this was many, many people's dreams of next chapters, frustration at where they were at the moment. Some people had started next chapters. So I had this kind of idea, wow, this would really inspire others to, who couldn't come to Italy mm-hmm. to to learn these stories. And then, you know, it's like having a new car. You start recognizing the story. So I'd see it on a TED talk. Right. I'd see it in the newspaper. I'd hear a, you a know, radio like yours and go, oh my God, you know, this is a great story. So I started to put it all down. And um, we and, and so the book is really my thread, but it's really geared to several groups of people. And I've been very, very surprised of who, what type of people have come out to see me. Um, not just people who are, say, retiring, and then like, I don't want to just sit here and knit or play golf all day. You know, I'm only 50, I want to do something. Um, but a lot of millennials mm-hmm. who have said, you know what, I think I've gone down the wrong path. This is, you know, I, I don't want to be a dentist. I want to teach yoga, or, and they've got a different mindset completely. And then a lot of them are. People who've done this, and this was me, the same job for many, many Mm -hmm. years, which is fantastic. But there comes a day, there's a great Italian word, which is basta, and that means enough. You know, I'm tired. There's nothing I can learn anymore. And I do believe, after all these people I interviewed, that we reached, after 20 years, the end of our learning curve. After 30 years, we're screaming from... So a lot. Mm -hmm. you could be a surgeon or a politician or a CEO of a company or... You know, massive jobs, but it's like, if you're not learning anymore, and I felt that, I can make television shows in my sleep and I'd be sitting in meetings. I love the business, I absolutely love it. But I'd be sitting in meetings thinking this is like deja vu. Mm-hmm. I've heard all this before. And then we get the empty nesters, and they're another breed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't like that. But, you know, a lot of women find it incredibly hard when their last child leaves home. Right. Me, I changed the locks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, Bye. And got a new den are overnight. <laughs> uh, Mama,
1: you crying? Are crying? No. Um, tears
0: of joy, baby. <laughs> tears of joy,
1: yeah, party time. Um, but... But it is very hard. So I think a lot of people say, I just want to find my passion. And that's another thing. How do you find your passion? Mm -hmm. I want to do something completely different. And I met the most remarkable people who went from being a surgeon to a singer or, you know, going from running a bank to running a coffee shop and, and bringing joy back in their lives.
0: Where do you think that this spirit comes from? you all the way through the book. And I think, you know, when you look back at your career as well, I keep hearing this idea this refrain like what's next what's next i know that I am I'm someone.
1: deficit. That's why well, I still. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think for me, I'm always more excited about the next thing to come rather than talking yeah. about the stuff that I've done or yeah. the things in the past. The most exciting thing is the thing I haven't done yet. And I've sensed that with you. Where does that spirit come from for you? Well, you it's think?
1: like me. You know, I'm sitting on holiday planning the next holiday. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I've always kind of been on the move. You know, I, I, I was brought up in, in the north of England in a very kind of rural area just outside on the cusp of, you know, industrial England. Um, from the Victorian times. And um, it wasn't for me. I, 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 you know, village life, if you weren't married by the time you were 17, it was like, ooh, what's wrong with her? (laughs) Married somebody in the next village, you were odd. Um, And I just, you know, I used to just dream of getting on that bus and going, heading to the big city lights of London. And and my mum said... Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> there was a whole stream of other kids behind me. And, and uh, if to leave school in those days, you were allowed legally, I don't know what it is now, but you were allowed to leave at 15. Right. But you had to, you had to see the careers teacher before you were allowed, she could sign you off. Well, right. of course, they were desperate for me to leave anyway. So I went to this horrible woman, Mrs. Ramsbottom. And she basically said, gave you the options, which most girls in those days had, I'm sure in this country too, was, um, well, you could be a nurse. Mm -hmm. No, you didn't do very well in biology. So that's going to, what about a secretary? No, that's not going to happen. Then she basically said, well, you could get married, but I don't think anybody would want you. Okay, can I go now? Yeah, sign her off. She's out. So I was, I think it was like a week (laughs) before my, uh, my 16th birthday. And my mum said, yeah, when you're 16, you can you can go to London. I, people are quite shocked sometimes about this, but it was the way I've, I've asked other people. Was my family just awful? And they were like, no, nobody discussed university and extra education. That was kind of uh, very clever rich people, and uh, you just didn't. And everybody was 16, 17, 18 in London, yeah. and that's what I did. And I, I, I just you know I, I stayed with some relatives when I first got there, and then I got my own flat, and and it was always. You know, we used to eat by picking up some guys, go for dinner, and then climb through the <laughs> toilet window. Really? Yeah. yeah we, we, you always had this catch when it was dessert. So it's like, we're just going to the bathroom, and then you'd be shimmering through the window, run, with your girlfriend.
0: And then you could never go back to that restaurant or bar again, yeah, probably. Or, or where you
1: picked up the guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a close shave for some of, I mean, yeah. I think I look back. And, and at 18, I was on the plane to Japan. I'd never been on a plane before. Well, you
0: were modeling
1: at 18, I was, right? Uh, yeah, I got into modeling. Um because it was the easiest way to kind of make some money. I wasn't very good at anything. (laughs) You know, what qualifications do you have? Zero. Um, And um, I I went to Tokyo. uh, I had an agent in London, and basically what they were doing, they were called, we were gaijin, so it was the, I think that's the right pronunciation, so we were the foreigners. And it was a huge trend just starting, where they didn't want their local girls, you know, a Japanese girl for the Japanese ads, they wanted foreigners. And um, it was the trend. So they were going to each agency and picking two girls from each agency. So I got picked and for whatever reason, they liked, I wasn't the prettiest girl, the tallest girl, the thinnest girl, but It was the look that they wanted. And we worked around the clock.
0: And we'll pick up that story on the other side of the commercial. I'm in conversation with Debbie Travis. The book is called Design Your Next Chapter. We'll find out what happened in Tokyo, (laughs) what happened in Japan. And I also want to talk to you about Richard Branson and some advice that he gave to you. Stay with us. Welcome back. Debbie Travis is my guest. Design Your Next Chapter is the new book, subtitle, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. And we're kind of walking through Debbie's life a little (laughs) bit here (laughs) and and see how this all happened for you. Because uh, the stories that you have are amazing, by the way, but we're in Japan right now. We're in Japan. You're, You're a model, modeling in Japan. You've been chosen. Uh, to to appear in some ads in Japan, you find yourself there.
1: And I remember Margaret Thatcher. When I stood, it was the first time they put television uh, screens in 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 airports because Margaret Thatcher got in, so it was 1979. I remember hmm. that. And I was standing in the uh, in the airport watching the the world changing, and uh, but we they worked us like idiots, and we did you know two to three jobs a day, and when I came back. Um, my mother actually came to London to meet me, which was unusual. And um, I remember pouring the cash Did you onto have a mountain bed. of money? <laughs> I had in those days, and that was about £50,000. And I was under 20. And my mother sat me down, held my hands. You know when mums are trying to tell yeah, you yeah. something serious? And she asked me, she said, are you a prostitute? I said, a what? I said, no, mum, I'm a model. I know, but... You can tell me Is everything. Is that a euphemism? <laughs> no, Mum. You know. And then I showed her all my pictures, and and I never made that kind of money ever again. But I bought my first flat in London. That was just before the the prices went bursting. Right. So I got into that at a very very young age. I got into the property market. So that was brilliant. And then I went back a couple of years ago, and I didn't work. I think they wanted redheads then, and I didn't work at all. But um, <laughs> but it did give you a lot of confidence because right. first of all, getting any there was no addresses in Japan. They give you a piece of paper written i don't know if you've ever been but written in japanese and it would be like go go to the end of the street with the cherry blossom and it's the third house on the left that burnt down five years ago And it was like and we were like my mother if my children go to the next town i'm like call me when you get there and they're in their 20s you know my mom was like that's nice love and then we'd all line up at call boxes to call our parents for hours to get in line you know and my mom would be like Oh, that's fine. Oh, your brother found a bird today. Everything okay? Bye. It must be expensive. <laughs> so I think I called home three times in six months.
0: Well, there must have been. Maybe your mum was just one of those sort of resilient English people after the yeah. war. You know, you would. Once your you know village has been bombed.
1: Well, she everything was, way, else after, seems she was okay. way after the war, but yeah. um, you know, she well, she was widowed. My father died young, so she was widowed at thirty-three mm. with four kids, and my brother was six months old. And, you know, when the tears stopped, it was right, pick up your socks and get on with it. And she had to survive. And we were kind of middle class, but with no money. So we had not a big house on Canadian standards, but we had, you know, we had two toilets, which Mm -hmm. was unheard of. Most of my friends at school had a toilet at the bottom of the garden, you know, with the spiders and the cobwebs and everything. Um, And and I think I learned a lot. I was the eldest, so I was 12. And I, I, you know, I watched how you survived, yeah. how you, and she took in lodges. So, uh, because we had a few bedrooms, so we all bunged, all the kids bung, bunged into one room, and she took in usually two to three men who would stay Monday to Friday. There was a big Phillips factory down the road that made light bulbs, and um, they would come up, and I remember coming home, it was awful, really. I came home one day, and um, there was some empty tins. <laughs> She's dead now, so she, I can tell the story. There were some <laughs> empty tins of dog food. And um, I'm looking at them. You know how embarrassed you are when you're a kid, teenager? And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's making a shepherd's pie. And I said, (laughs) we don't have a dog. And I'm going, oh, no, Mum, they're going to die. She says, a few peas and some onions. Uh, It'll be lovely. And then the next, we're all sitting in the kitchen waiting for somebody to pass out in the dining room. And then this, you know, 32-year-old businessman comes in and says, oh, Valerie, that was delicious. Could I have some more? I'm like, no. (laughs) <laughs> Don't eat it I'm sure it's better stuff in there than spam or something but... I, I,
0: I'm not sure I ever would have eaten at home again uh, oh. After that
1: <laughs> But 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 that was survival yeah. They'll never yeah. know A few peas and onions, they'll be fine
0: <laughs> um, In conversation with Debbie Travis The book is called Design Your Next Chapter Richard Branson said to you You have to be great And yeah. those are, from what I understand Words that have, have kind of driven you and, and, and I wonder, do they do they help you Or do they haunt you? <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I think I think you know I am not Richard Branson, of course, but I think he's a, a bit like a lot of he's the, he's the ultimate o- entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just constantly thinking of the next thing. Your mind, your mind is very. I have a very busy mind. Anybody who knows me and my husband, I just exhaust everybody because I'm also. You know, if you came up to me and said, "Oh, I love apples," I say, "You know what you could do? You could, you, you know, you could pick those apples and you know, do this and," that. and I, I always see a way where whoever I meet thinking, "Oh, you could. This is how you could make a business out of that," and. um I think he's like that I think he and also he gives opportunity to others and that's what I've done you know this all the stuff I do the 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 product line we still have our television studio mm-hmm. we've made everybody partners because you can't be everywhere and that keeps people you get this great loyalty so we have partners in the television business we have partners in the retail business and and it's a wonderful way to work because you know how do you have the boss swanning around in tuscany <laughs> and you're running flat <laughs> right. out with your production company so um that's worked for us in the last couple of years when we started this italian chapter and it's i think it's just we all want to live the best life we can but it's not for everybody but i do think a lot of people are looking for something that um that makes them sing mm-hmm. and there is today. There's nothing wrong. I mean, it's the last few generations who had one job for 40 years. Yeah. And there are some people who absolutely love what they're doing now. But the day will come where it's like, you know, what if what if I did this?
0: And I, I don't think you can always expect it. Mm. You know, you can love your job. Mm. But if you feel that you're not challenged, you can coast for a little bit. But then, I mean, I just think it's human nature that mm-hmm. we want to be pushed a little bit.
1: And you can't eat the same meal. You may love yeah. spaghetti bolognese, but you can't eat it every day. It just gets like... There's nothing interesting. And we want to be challenged. And, and I think we're, we're going away from the day where it's just roll over and, well, you know, my time's up. And you're seeing all these icons now who... Are revitalizing mm-hmm. themselves like Jane Fonda yeah. and and you know Richard Attenborough is ninety and he's doing a new series about polar bears. You know that guy is going to die in his sleep. You know he's amazing and and it's it just keeps you excited and I think it keeps you young.
0: The book asks lots of questions. In the mm. back cover here I'm looking at. What if I finally turn my dream into reality? And that seems big. Yeah. That is a big idea, but. If you, if you break it down into smaller components, so I love art. Why shouldn't I work at a gallery? Why couldn't I change my, my career to something towards something that has been a passion my entire life? Or, 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 I, or, or talk about art. Or, or talk about art. Like, I would guess, though, that in the case of many people... Uh, it doesn't seem like a viable way to make a living, mm. you, or people say no. You have to be a lawyer. Mm. You have to be a. But
1: there's a period in your life. I mean, you know, in, in your, I think your twenties is about. I think twenties are quite hard for people. It's about finding yourself. Your thirties, you're getting into a. You, then you start. Then you. Then you've created a lifestyle where you need money. You need the mortgage. You've got mm-hmm. the kids. You How much did we spend on diapers? I mean, like, you know, all that stuff. Suddenly they're all gone, and you don't need as much money. I mean, I I buy food for the day. I, yeah. I, you know, I used yeah. to go to these huge places and spend a fortune, <laughs> with three trolley loads of food. Those wonderful days have gone, and so it's not about I hate my job, so I've got to do something else. For some people, it is that, but um, I think we all want to live a long, healthy life, and you need to you need to keep the vitality or find the vitality back, and you need to you need to change your mindset when you do something new because. That, every single person I talked to who'd done something said that was the most important thing because, you know, one particular role, let's say uh, you work for the bank and then you do something like I'm doing and you're I'm kind of running a hotel. Mm-hmm. That is it. The first time somebody clicked their fingers at me and said, could you, Debbie, could you could we give another bottle R- of wine? <laughs> I nearly smashed it over her head. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh, it is it is a different... You, ha- you have to change. Yeah. Living in a foreign country... It's a dream for so many people, Um, but you have to play in the rhythm of that country and Italy a, goes in a very different rhythm yeah. you know uh, they, you know they the piano piano they be you know <laughs> you know calm down I'm like yes I have two minutes well you have to you, they're not going to change yeah. you have to move you move to the Caribbean you're gonna work in it you can't yeah. work at the pace we do when it's 80 degrees you need to work you know and and uh, when I used to watch the builders I was you know five years and one o'clock Lunch, siesta. And I'd be like, it's 2 o'clock. They're still snoring, you know. (laughs) Bit by bit, maybe one day I thought, I'll lie down. Do you know how glorious it is to (laughs) have a siesta? And you wake up to the banging and, you know, and they're they're all back at work and stuff. Um, And and it's it's just a different culture. It's a different lifestyle.
0: We'll come back with more Debbie Travis for talking about her book, Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. Stay with us. Welcome back. My guest in studio is Debbie Travis. The book is called Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. Uh, Before we talk about the book anymore, I I, I hope you're not mad at me. The last time I saw you, I was judging you on the Marilyn Dennis show that was a, 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 a shortbread making contest. And I had the the, the oh, vote.
1: I, I I am angry. I, I should
0: have won. And, well, I and I voted for the other team. I was the tiebreaker, <laughs> oh, and I damn. apologize.
1: That was so funny. Um, I had these two young girls. I think they were sisters. And uh, we had, they had to make a gingerbread house. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I ruined everything they did. It was my fault. And they took it very, very seriously. But I think they got more attention than the winners because we were so funny and everything. Yep. and so talented. I mean, it, this thing was the size of a real house. It
0: was. It was huge. And the thing, it was almost impossible because didn't you have, like, gherkins? And you had to well, – it yeah. was It was g- gingerbread uh, and then you had to, like, put gherkins in salamis well, there a, and salamis and stuff. There was a
1: secret thing to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the other team had – but you had to add this item, so yeah. ours was antipasto. So it was yes. olives, uh, gherkins, like celery and stuff like this. Well, of course, it kept sliding, yeah. <laughs> sliding down the icing, and um, and it
0: had a, a more of a, a smell than you might associate usually.
1: Yeah, you would not want to <laughs> eat this house. But we ended up using; they were very clever. We ended up using the celery as trees, and and, and the it gherkins was fun. were little
0: shrubs. I remember, they and were they were very shrubs. cute. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't but...
1: eat this, but. But um, we did not win. Thank you very much. Well,
0: I apologize. And I just (laughs) wanted to take a moment to clear the air. I can feel the tension. Um, (laughs) I'm speaking with Debbie Travis. The book is called Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. Um, Did you think that you would retire with a a paintbrush in your hand and a camera in your face?
1: No. You know, I'm always, like, jumping from one thing to the next. First of all, I I hate the word retire. Mm -hmm. I will never retire. Um, I... I, um, you know, I'm always thinking of the next thing, and as long as I'm fit and healthy and I yeah. can walk, um, why not? I mean, my, my grandmother had a little sh- She was an antique dealer, and um, not a very honest one, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> my granny was very young. She had my mum at 14, wow. and my mum had me really young. So they were, you know, my granny was like my granny when she was like 40. And um, she she lived in the south of France, and she used to buy a lot of... of smaller items on the Italian side. It was very near the border where she lived and she was on the French side and on the Italian side was this town called Ventimiglia. It's the first house in Italy, first town in Italy and I used to, cause my father was, was dying so I was, would be sent down there and we'd drive. We'd drive mm-hmm. from the north of England <laughs> and she'd sit on two phone books and, um, with a kettle <laughs> and, and, and I'd go down and, and, and stay with her. So she'd drive into Ventimiglia and in those days they had borders. So one day she'd leave me all day, and she—I guess she was buying and stuff—and then come back and off the off back to France we'd go, maybe a thirty-minute drive. So one day we—it's a hot day, and she was beautifully dressed. She was impeccable, and she had was like this beautiful fuchsia uh, loose blouse on with huge sleeves and stuff. So we got stopped on the Italian side, and uh, the guy. Says he wants to check the trunk and everything. And he opens the trunk up and there's nothing in it. So, ah, oh, avanti, avanti. You know, you can yeah. go. So, my grandmother lifted her arm up to put the trunk down and she had 28 watches all <laughs> the way down her arm. And uh, we were put into a cell. And I had really? to call my mother, no cell phones in those days, of yeah. course, but I had to borrow money off some tourists to call my mother from a call box. And granny's in jail. <laughs> Will you come and get me? But she died way after. My mother died very young as well, and um, well, 50. Yeah. And, um, and then my grandma. Uh, had still had her antique shop, and she died at ninety. She was knocked over by a police car, and <laughs> was blown. She sounds into the like room. a
0: character. She,
1: she she married five times for money. Wow. She hated men, and uh, <laughs> she's she, on my wedding day. She says to me as I'm walking down the aisle, "How much has he got?" I'm like, "Granny, Ooh, wow. you can't say that." And well, she came. Out, she came after yep. that. Both wars. Yeah. And was a tough little cookie, and I love that generation. I they were they're the ones we should be talking in schools, right. and um, I, I'd love to write a book. But about I was going to say that should be yeah. the next book. Oh, and and she was the illegitimate child. We always knew a rumour of Lord Carlisle. and I have the death certificate. And she was so her mother must have been a servant in the house, right. and as happened in those days, obviously with the uh, the lord and got pregnant and was out and um when my grandma became working age which was 11 or 12 was called back into the house and she she didn't tell me much but she said she hated it she was scrubbing fireplaces and stuff like and imagine
0: at, Downton Abbey style exactly things that. right that's yeah. what
1: she was and at 14 found some local boy and and married him and then and then, <laughs> then there was the war and so just before she died, we didn't know she was going to die. But we, we said, you know, we were a bit confused by all these husbands. So so she says, she says, well, I said, have you any regrets? So she says, well, I, she said, I, I, I don't think I handled it well with Jack. And I said, what do you mean? She says, well, I forgot. I said, you forgot what? She said, I forgot I was married. I said, what do you mean you forgot you were married? Well, she said, they went away to the war. And then they came back five, six years later. And so you imagine this poor kid coming back with his backpack. He's walked from France. And my grandma was there with two more kids and another husband. And then she says, she says uh, I said, well, what about the other? Because I think was, there were two Jacks. She says, oh, I, I killed him. I'm like, uh, Granny, you did not kill him. She said, oh, I did. She said, you he, he weren't a good man. I said, what do you mean you killed him? She says, well, have you ever heard of that disease? It's called diabetes. I said, "Yeah, everybody's got it today." She says, "Well, they can't have sugar." I put sugar in the bastards everything. <laughs> she had an insulin attack in the middle of the night. I'm like, she well, said, "What are you going to do? I'm ninety years old." <laughs> wow! But but that's that generation. It, that
0: is, and and I, so
1: ask your grannies if they killed anyone.
0: That is a book. Yeah, that is a yeah. book right there.
1: Yeah, she was, she, and I, I, I think they had so much chutzpah. They had yeah. so much, you know. They, they were women and she was a politician and she used to stand and uh, my you know English kids were say if they were from a kind of upper class family they, they were sent away to school mm-hmm. so my mum was sent away to school at four boarding school and came home like three times a year yeah. and my grandmother was not a mummy type my mum was but so my, the only story I remember my mother ever complaining was she said, you know, I, I was 11 and I came home and, and we were halfway through eating a frozen chicken, probably still frozen. <laughs> and, and my grandma said, oh, I know what I forgot to tell you. Your father died three months ago. Do you want some more peas? And my, my, my mom never really got over it. Yeah, and, yeah. But they were a tough generate. They had to be.
0: Well, and, and I think that sometimes when people are older, you just look at them. And think, oh, just a nice old lady. Nah, you know, I certainly my kidding? grandmother, my grandmother had quite a life as well. She died 16 years ago. She was 100 when she passed wow. away. Or 99 and a half. She didn't quite make it to 100, but almost. But my grandfather had been a jazz trumpet player in New York mm. in the uh, 30s and 40s. And so he was a sideman, and he played with everybody. And uh, later, they moved to Boston, and he started a big band there. And I was talking to her about this one time. And keep in mind, at this time, she's probably... 85. Yeah. And uh, she has always just been the sweetest woman in the world, my grandmother. And uh, she was telling me about uh, the big band. And and I said, well, what was it like? Where did they play? And she said, oh, well, they used to rehearse in the house. And man, those cats could blow the roof off to place.
1: <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and I bet there were stories that she didn't want to say. Absolutely. But you know, that generation didn't really talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think I think, when the war was over, they just wanted to move on. They, they did not discuss it. And you Know we see that with all. I mean, there's not many of them left now, yeah. but I think there's, I think any of them, and and um, uh, I think they should as soon as well, maybe it's too late, but have them talking in schools. I mean, yeah. my, my eldest son has always loved everything to do with armies and battles and stuff like that, and he would love these old guys, you know. Yeah. And, my, and my stepfather had a gas mask, and my son, it was actually. Went to quite an extreme. We had to go and see something because he never took it off. And I'd, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, like in a supermarket, and this kid with a gas mask on, and, you know, try and take it off him and you scream. And um, this was for about four years. Yeah. And, and I, I always said to my stepfather, How could you do that? You know, next time give him Lego like every other fa- <laughs> grandfather, right. you know. And he gave him a gas mask and he loved it. He loved it. He had a special locker at school that this thing could go in. And it's, um, I I think the kids would get so much out of these stories.
0: I'm speaking with Debbie Travis. The book is called Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. We took a little left turn there talking about your grandmother, but man, am I ever glad we did. That was fantastic. So um, we've just got a couple of minutes left. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about making a change?
1: Well, I think you plan it like everything else. Mm -hmm. I think you have to divide it up, and I think you have to write stuff down. So the first thing... Which happens to everybody, you know, you lie in yoga class going, oh, you know, one day I could have my own yoga studio. And then by the time you finish the class, that negativity, that thing on your shoulder is saying you're not good enough, thin enough, clever enough, you know, and that's all of us. So one of the best tricks is to write a list of all the reasons why you cannot do that dream that you have, Mm -hmm. why you cannot, you know, you'll never be able to do it. And the list will be very long can guarantee and then write a list next to it of the reasons why you can do it and that will be very short now go through the other list the long negativity list and look at it and ask yourself what is an excuse and what is a reality so a reality is maybe you have three kids under five and it is not the right time or you've got a sick parent or you know or you can't afford it um I have to walk the dog on Wednesdays is an excuse, you know. There's always ways round that, and um, and and you have to start. Kind of building the seed, making that seed stronger and stronger. And one of the best ways is to talk to people. And people are often afraid of that because they well, they'll take my idea. But you find your tribe. You find the people who are going to support you. And there'll always be people. Always. Mm-hmm. Everything I ever do, somebody's going to go. Are you kidding? Yep. I remember when I had this idea about the villa. Somebody said, "You can't even make a bed. <laughs> How are you going to, you know?" And and so he said, "Well, I'll hire somebody who can make a bed." Yeah. And and. So so if you get you don't have to get rid of the negative people who are usually family Shall I say that twice? <laughs> Usually family. So you find the people who are going, yes, well, what about if you did it this way? And there's always a tribe who will help you and support you. And, and it's that's imperative. And then you start working up. Maybe it's not something you do now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's something you do in three months and create a vision board. Put up the ideas. Every time you have an idea, stick it up there. And you keep, I do believe in that. You keep seeing it and seeing it. And of course, the work has to be done but it will come to fruition eventually. And it may change.
0: We have to leave it there. I think patience is something to add in there. Patience. Uh, My guest, really, what a treat, man. Uh, Debbie Travis has been my guest. The book is called Design Your Next Chapter, How to Realize Your Dreams and Reinvent Your Life. You can find the end part of that answer that Debbie just started to give us uh, in this book. It's fantastic stuff, Debbie. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you so much. It was great.
0: Thanks to you for listening. And my thanks to Andre and the board. We'll talk again next week.